2023 was the year of balls. Hello, you are listening to New Release. This is Drew here with none other than all-time favorite guest and the person who I've seen the most things with in the last year, Jamie. Hello. Welcome. What a title. Yeah. Uh, The music, I know what it reminds me of. What? It reminds me of if an ice cream truck were haunted. And selling trap ice cream to kids. That's the that's the that's the tune that would play. Perfect. Yep. That, that's the new new release uh, theme song for the year, composed by me and with a little help from James. A few notes on the vibe. <laughs> yeah. Vibe how check. bad it was and how disturbing and creepy it was. So I stuck with it based on that. Um, what we're going to do today on episode 197 of New Release, after we've taken our longest break ever, um, 10 days or so, maybe. So we earned it after a trying movie year in 2023, mm. just a real marathon that we had to you know, squeeze in so many Christmas movies, so many Halloween movies. So many nihilistic movies. It was a real, um, <laughs> a real triumph for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to look back on our most memorable viewing experiences of 2023, um, which includes things we watched. You know, uh, for the show, we typically focus on TV. But as I was looking back on the year, obviously, um, seeing things in theater stuck with me a lot. Um, old movies, new movies. We're going to try to stick to new stuff, but there'll be some older things sprinkled in. So I don't know. Um, any reflections that you have on on the year, how you consume things throughout 2023 before we jump into our list? Mm. I feel like we went to a bunch of different theaters this last year, mm-hmm. which is cool. And obviously the old favorites as well. I feel like I saw as many old movies in theaters that I loved. Maybe more old movies in theaters that I loved to get that movie theater experience over new movies I saw in theaters that I loved. Just kind of a weird ratio. And... Do you have a new appreciation? I mean, we both have projector setups at home mm-hmm. pretty nice sounds like in enjoy the comfort and casualness of viewing things at home it's like as much of a ritual as you can make it but what do you get out of the theater experience that's different from watching at home popcorn ah popcorn yeah um should we debate the popcorn yeah you want to get into that for, let's for go it? i'm ready um, no, the, I don't know. Something about the movie theater is just always exciting. Seeing like three trailers beforehand. Yeah. And watching something new or old with a crowd of people you've never met, you're about to have this experience with, whether it's good or bad. It's just exciting every time. Hello. <laughs> 
she gets really riled up whenever I'm recording a podcast in person. If there's another person doing it, mm-hmm. she's much more interested than yeah. if I'm just talking to my computer like I do all you day. You should just bring her on as a guest. I think that's just her wanting to be a guest. I mean, uh, she's welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I have Set a little, up a mic for her. I have a little cat-sized mic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I always struggle. Like, I would like to make it a weekly habit to just go see something new or old in, in the theater pretty much at least once a week, um, which isn't hard to do in Portland. There's such a um, robust revival programming scene. Um, I live right down the street as of the last year from Academy. That'll come up in our movie-going lists. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I find myself a little bit um, uh, affected by the streaming calendar where some new movies that I would have seen in the theater for sure before now I just wait and watch or like, you know, am content to wait for them to come out at home. But I want to break myself out of that because like I said, when we were looking back at the year in preparation for this, I thought it was going to have more like, um, memorable TV moments and memorable moments from watching stuff at home and watching group movies, which we do have, but the lead up to a movie theater experience, everything you do beforehand, everything you do after talking about it, just being out, um, the crowd reaction, good or negative, it all just leads to making it much more, um, sticky in your brain. Hmm. You also like to take in a lot of content about new release movies in general and want to like have that movie fresh on your brain so that you can, connect with whatever content you're listening to yes like you want to be part of the zeitgeist in terms of like knowing what's happening and sometimes you know obviously waiting is outside of your comfort zone well yeah then there's like this wave of things constantly coming at you um i forgot to mention that new release is a podcast where each week we watch something new and then decide if we want more so that kind of like that kind of mindset, like, oh, I'm going to sample everything right when it comes out, actually makes it hard to go back in time. Like last night, uh, we watched The Holdovers, um, which will be like talked about a lot in the lead up to the Academy Awards. Um, but it was very firmly set in the Christmas season with Christmas ambiance. And <laughs> I would have loved to watch it during that christmas window um but nonetheless uh, i'm obviously glad that that we watched it it's just um i don't know like i i like to ritualize or make everything um that i watch like part of a bigger narrative (laughs) and sometimes the bigger narrative like you're saying includes the discourse at large um that's a really boring word but the conversation about it and they just think people move on so quickly. Um, one of the shows that we talked about the most on new release this past year was Murder at the End of the World. It's not going to make the top of my list because it wasn't a good show. But being able to talk about it week to week with a show that has kind of like ongoing plot developments and, and, and is a mystery was really fun to talk about. So I'm looking forward to... Um, we're going to do another episode shortly 
where we look ahead at the things we're most excited about for 2024. But I just, I, I want in my life at all times a week to week narrative drama or narrative show that I'm looking forward to new episode every week and then can like digest any conversation around it versus the bear season two coming out in one weekend and then everybody being at different points and watching it. It's kind of fun when a friend will hit you up like two weeks later and they get to a episode that you were anticipating them getting to, but it's a lot easier to follow something in real time. It feels like in a lot of ways we're going to cycle back. We're already on the edge of that right now, but it feels like we're going to cycle back to that kind of structure in general because with streaming services now adding like commercial tiers and uh, just like putting them, it feels like a lot of people are saying that like the streamers have forgotten why we moved to streamers in the first place, which was to avoid the commercials of cable in a lot of ways. Right. right? And with them going back to that kind of structure in order to make more money, it feels like inevitably as with, like fashion with history whatever we all we're just cycling through periods that have already happened so that kind of week to week thing is definitely going to be big again soon i feel like i'm the opposite i hate waiting <laughs> i i want to watch everything at once or in my own time later because i don't like cliffhangers i don't like to wait when i don't want to you know did you before this before you saw it the other way with with um, Netflix, you know, kind of bursting onto the scene. And you, what did you do when things used to come out week to week and, and you were really into Stargate or whatever? Uh, <laughs> I just, honestly, I can't remember. I waited yeah. and then I would, honestly, a lot of it is that I would buy like the DVDs yeah. after a season dropped, like after it fully went out. And then a couple of months later, they would release the DVD pack. I would usually wait until then and I would get DVD packs for every Christmas. Like the reason I have like most of, if not all of the seasons of Stargate is okay, because good. I, was I kinda would just throw yeah. that out. No, I love Stargate. <laughs> um, I have most of the seasons because like I would get them for Christmas from family. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it is that I just waited until they dropped on like a physical media format and then I would watch them all. Yeah, you're more of a rewatcher than me yeah, um, as well, true. which lends itself to it being available so you can um, start back <laughs> from the beginning. For me, I think the most, and we're going to get to our lists momentarily, I promise. For me, I think um, rather than this trip down high school memory, 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 wow, <laughs> memory lane, <laughs> um, I think my most formative like viewing time in my life um, and I always say like I'm more of a TV person than a movie person because of this time period was like late 90s, early 2000s, um, CW, WB, and then CW programming. And my ritual was every night, you know, um, I wish I could remember the exact days. I'm pretty sure Tuesdays were One Tree Hill. I was going to say Tuesdays. Yeah. That sounds but right. There were, no, but it was like there's the two shows I watch to varying like levels of interest on tuesday and then uh that 8 to 10 p.m you know eastern time block um on wednesday i would i would i would look forward to those like nightly viewing schedules and then obviously Mm -hmm. those shows would tend to end on a cliffhanger i'd have to wait a week um 
But every night I could like pop a bag of popcorn, have a Dr. Pepper. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know. It was like uh, later that I, that things were airing in syndication like Buffy on um, FX that I would, I would digest it in two episodes a day format. Mm -hmm. I would record them, watch them. That's how I got caught up. But I think my favorite viewing experience was like that once a week, you know, drawn out over the course of like six months, the way that they um, used to film or used to program network TV um, viewing. And that just really maximized the, (laughs) the entertainment value for me. I definitely did that too. And when I was younger, I would always like one of my favorite times of year was like whenever it was early summer, late summer, when like the new show schedules would be released. Yeah. I would go through every channel and look at their new release shows and based on their synopsis or if they had, you know, trailers on YouTube available, I would watch them and then I would make. I would like hand write a schedule out for yeah. the new TV season. It's so and exciting. Like, that's that's what I would do. Right, and that now I mean, I, one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast and the reason we transitioned back to TV was because it's way more convoluted and way more uh, decentralized now. Yeah, but I love to some degree looking at articles of what's new to streaming blank month in january 2024 and then you got to cross reference like six different articles to see each streaming service and what you know these random kind of like ai generated content um sites recommend but before it was much more kind of time slotted mm-hmm. versus now it's choose your own adventure yeah and everyone is you know like choosing not only their own they have more options to choose from they also have more time shifting that they can watch it in so it's just really hard to get in sync with anyone um unless it's like hbo on sunday night true detective um season four is going to be the first show that we do for the new for this year of, of new release and that's the like the exception where the people that are really into that it's a fraction of the audience of you know something that would air um 20 years ago but like most people that are into it are going to watch it that night yeah um so anyway um i don't know i feel i feel a little sad for you that you don't get that (laughs) experience anymore yeah i mean there is something to be said for sometimes working within a structure within a box is less paralyzing than like the freedom of choice no that sounds crazy (laughs) Uh, that sounds bad no i just mean when you have like unlimited options sometimes you don't like you're like you put things off the paralysis yeah yeah it can be a little intimidating and daunting to just finally commit to something so i do understand the um like the pros of that i do get the why that is like a good thing sure and sometimes i follow it like sometimes i'll watch things week to week but i like i also like just going my own way well with that (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah. That's ghost ice cream <laughs> music. Our jazzy, our jazzy segue. Um, all right. We're going to get into our list. I hope you're ready to go first. Um, are you going to go in chronological order or reverse like best mm. to worst? I'm or not best to worst because these are <laughs> best of the best, best of our best. But like, do you want to count down? I um, am going to go in no particular order. <laughs> perfect. So maybe um, we can pick like a favorite favorite at the end once we've kind of gone through, you know, gone through the exercise. Okay. So yeah, start us off. Oh boy. Okay. Well, on the lines of like. I love to rewatch things. Yes. And watching things in my own very bingy way. I'm going to go with the resurgence of One Piece. Yeah. In my life. One Piece is was a show that I watched when I was younger for sure. On TV, it aired on like Fox Kids on Saturday morning, so I would do my laundry and I would watch Saturday morning cartoons and One Piece was one of the one of the shows and uh, there was a kids dubbed edited version. So like some of the more adult content of the show was turned into more, you know, uh, G rated stuff. Mm-hmm. But I started watching one piece when I was like a teenager and then at a certain point, everyone, whoever, anyone who's watched One Piece or has any contact with it knows that it is, it can be a slog in the way that there are just so many episodes. Right. And you get stuck in these filler arcs that don't mean anything. And you just, you just lose all momentum. And then you put it away for a while. And then eventually a live action show comes out and you're like, oh, I remember One Piece. I loved that show. Maybe I should restart the anime. And then you get into the anime and there are over a thousand episodes of it. (laughs) And it's great. Yeah. Well, that'll satiate your need to like have a show that you can basically consume endlessly and and never have the never reach the bottom of the of the way. Yeah. Yep. Close back. <laughs> um, yeah, I got the privilege of being part of. Um, did we start from the beginning when we were watching it at your dad's? Uh, no, I was. We just started where you were at. We started where I was at, yep. which was towards the beginning. Yes, so I restarted it in anticipation of the live action, mostly because I wanted the base of the anime to like remind me of what happens at the beginning of the show. Um, Cause it'd been so long and we watched, I started watching it and then we visited my dad and then one night no one could decide what to watch slash. I didn't want to watch anything except for one piece. So yep. I forced everyone to watch one piece with me and my dad fell asleep on the couch and drew fell asleep on the couch and <laughs> I was just living my best life watching it. I love it. It's so good. And then we watched the first episode of the live action and I loved it too. And, uh, yeah, I'm like in the 400s now, I think. Yeah. Which so is... I, I will go like long stretches without watching it, but then I can definitely watch like an embarrassing amount of episodes in one day. Yeah, so. well, nothing to be embarrassed about there. Um, I I really in, enjoyed the show. I've been like dipping my toes in, you know, various um, anime 
material very sparingly, but always appreciate kind of the extremeness and creativity, obviously, that you can do when you have, um, you don't have the restraints of like having to film it. Although the live action um, effectively captures kind of, I mean, one of the core concepts of the show is these gum gum or these, uh, what are the fruits called? Devil fruits. Devil fruits. So the main character ate the gum gum fruit, which makes him stretchy. But um, just the zaniness and weirdness of the powers that people have. And Mm. I mean, in some sense, it's like X-Men or a superhero show because people have all these random powers um, that may be proportionate or or not or complementary, like just (laughs) just strange. Um, And... I feel like you get more of that strangeness with with anime than a lot of what we're used to in American programming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then like you said, the even the strangeness of the storylines and the adultness of the the storylines for a show that you very much associated with your childhood and may have been watching the version that was um, slightly you know toned down for kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they toned down any of the visuals. I think they did because one of the characters is smoking constantly right. and in the version I watched on like on Saturday mornings I think he was just eating a like a lollipop the whole time. <laughs> Perfect substitute. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> yeah, well, um One Piece on Netflix came out in October, I believe. We didn't actually do it for the podcast. We should have. It was um a pretty a pretty big hit and mm-hmm. um They'll be doing more seasons. They're like strategically releasing giant um, batches of the anime on Netflix. Aren't they doing like they're, now they're doing another they're rebooting anime. the anime? Yeah. yeah. So they're starting fresh, <laughs> which is wild. Yeah. But exciting. Cool. Um, well, that's a great, a great first choice. I think for me, I'm going to go with an older movie that we watched in theaters. Like you mentioned, um, probably the biggest year for both of us in terms of seeing old movies in theaters. Um, a great kind of one of the nice byproducts of the pandemic. It seems like there's a fresh interest in seeing old stuff in theaters combined with the lack of new stuff that was, you know, mm-hmm. was, the strike and uh, yeah, there's too. just been, yeah, lulls that are caused by a few different production things. So, um, the night that, um, uh, I moved into a, a new house. I bought my first house in 2023, back in February, late January through the beginning of February. And then I don't want to say it was on Valentine's Day, but it was Valentine's week for sure. Um, and it was the first night that you and I were staying in this new house in the Montevilla neighborhood. Um, a movie by my favorite director and probably the movie of his that you are most um, excited about mm-hmm. was playing at the movie theater down mm-hmm. the street. So it seemed like, you know, the stars aligning, um, validating the investment just in that one <laughs> showing of Wild at Heart, um, the David Lynch movie um, with Nick Cage and Laura Dern um, that sort of follows a Wizard of Oz um, type um journey and just goes to all sorts of insane places but um seeing it in a full theater like basically we got there right as showtime was hitting and just because of the chaos of the week 
and the theater was full. Um, really fun crowd and just a great way to spend the first night <laughs> in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And Meg joined us. Yes. Um, but yeah, any any um, memories of that experience <laughs> for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I very much remember it. It was, we got lucky we were able to get seats together because it was packed. And they did not show any trailers beforehand. I think it went directly into the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the the most full theater experience I think I've had at Academy. It was really cool. And I love that movie and so does Meg. Um, it's just weird yep. and crazy and fun. It's my, yeah, it's my favorite David Lynch for sure. Yeah, I figured it was, it slightly beat out a racer head for you. <laughs> just barely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like, they were doing um, really uh, a lot of revival programming that month or the first couple months after I moved in. It encouraged me to like contact the theater <laughs> and start a second podcast with Academy. So that's been going strong where we kind of look at the revival programming, uh, Doorman and myself. So I don't know. That was like, obviously you move into a new neighborhood. Uh, the theater being down the street was a, a big like selling point, um, being able to afford the house and, <laughs> and, and, you know, um, it, it check all the other boxes was, was great, but, um, it was so cool. And then like days later we got a foot of snow and it was just kind of like so many, such a dynamic time, um, looking back on, on the year and an exciting time. So that's the first one I'm going to call out. Um, what's your second one? It's lovely. That's such a good question. We've obviously prepped this in advance and are ready to go at a moment's notice. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm going to... Hmm, I want to save that one. I'm going to actually talk about something that I've come to accept about myself that's kind of controversial for a lot of people oh you're gonna get vulnerable yes i am for many reasons for practical reasons for strategic reasons i (sighs) (laughs) let me edge of my seat i love to sit in the front of a theater it is the only way i can watch a movie anymore people who join me sometimes hate it some of them have come to accept it no one says out loud that they no not out loud but i can feel vibes i know people don't necessarily love how close i like to get to the screen um but in sorry i feel like i'm yelling um i this year i feel like i've really come to embrace that aspect of myself and i've had some really nice like front row movie experiences which I'm going to just roll into one because I can think of three. Okay. I'll allow it. So <laughs> since you're being so vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you for hearing my truth. Um, Joyride. Uh, I saw in theaters with my friends and one, it's an amazing movie. It's hilarious. It, I don't know why it didn't do better. I don't know why no one was talking about it, but it's fantastic and so funny and so smart and gross sometimes and just genuinely so much fun we had such a good time watching it we sat in the front row of the theater and it helps 
Um, we went to Laurelhurst, I think, for maybe all of the ones I'm going to talk about. Uh, but it helps set the... Oh, it is, yes. Uh, it helps set the front row in Laurelhurst in pretty much all of their theaters are a, like 10 feet away from the screen, maybe? Yeah, the, I think theaters in general have gotten... Any theater that's remodeled puts the front row puts, at like an actual reasonable distance. Yeah. It varies, but, but yeah, Laurelhurst is pretty good. So the front row is the move in that way because you're close but you're not craning your neck like you used to have to do and there's no one in front of you to block your view and also a lot of times when you sit in the front um, or close to the front people lean towards watching movies from the back or the middle back so oftentimes if it's not like a sold out show you have space around you which is lovely because if you get someone who does not respect theater etiquette near you it can ruin a movie and i hate that um so we watched joyride in the front row and D, &D, which i also loved which was a fun little double date night um and then poor things at laurelhurst they re Modeled. Modeled. Yep, that's the word. <laughs> uh, they remodeled their larger theaters, and now, like, all the seats are really nice. And the front row have those, like, fancy recliner button seats that the bigger chain theaters have because they are close to the theater. But now you can kind of lean back and adjust for that. And it's just the front row that does that. And they were very comfortable and cushy, and we saw poor things. That was yes. the first time we used, uh, we went into the remodeled theater, and uh, it was lovely. And poor things was amazing. It was. And that was the, that's a nice capstone on the year because um, the first movie of the year, as I pointed out to you, that we saw in theaters was Babylon. Mm. Um, all three hours and 20 minutes of it at Laurelhurst. Um, we both loved it every mm. second of it. Um, mm. And that would have been in one of the bigger theaters and not um, before it was remodeled. And then Poor Things we saw maybe in the same theater at the end of the year as our last movie of of the year. I It definitely varies for me if I, if I have any complaints about the front row whatsoever. Like sometimes in some theaters, it's great. I've actually gotten used to when I go to the, when movies without you or, or by myself, I used to sit like, this is like a film nerd thing I feel like to do or some director said that they would always just find like the most center seat in the whole theater and sit there. I never do that anymore. I aim like front and a little to the edge. So, but I definitely err on the side of closer because it's more immersive. You are less likely to your point to be distracted either by people doing stuff or, I mean, if you can see the whole theater, unless you're like there to, do a um, social experiment like <laughs> or take notes in the back row or something, you know, you don't need to see everyone's head. Um, yeah. So I, um, uh, you've indoctrinated me. Um, <laughs> I think you, we have some interesting seating preferences at Hollywood, for instance. Mm. Um, yeah. That one is more the, the flank. Uh, controversial. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, I, I do appreciate, you know, being able to get up um, and have an exit strategy for mm-hmm. the bathroom. Or another drink or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Poor Things was an amazing movie. That's um, so good. Yeah. And the recliner seats are great. You get your own personal like table. Little table, um, yeah. Like, like the, you're at a school desk. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the tabletops that pull out from the side and, and kind of rotate into place. Um, 
yeah, so that was that was that was a great experience. Um, and it's cool that they've invested in remodeling the theater. And like like I said, theaters seem much more conscious, like especially smaller ones. You're not like trying to cram as many seats mm-hmm. as you can. You're trying to find the right number and the right balance between making it a comfortable, memorable experience versus just like you're a multiplex and you're the only show in town. Yeah. Like we have a lot of competition here in Portland <laughs> for indie movie theaters. Laurelhurst is also one of the a theater that is like a galley alley style. So it's very long but not very wide. So I feel like the further back it just it's like you're it's like watching a TV when you're used to a projector now. Like I feel right. like that specific theater I have to really be up and close. But um yeah, I I loved I loved all of those movies and it really just solidified something about the experience for me. Cool. Um I'm going to go into my second one now. Um I'm going to go with something. I want to mix at least a few home viewing experiences in um and I'm going to just skip ahead to the end of the year. Um, there was like a trio of movies released on Netflix, you know, kind of critical um, darlings and highly anticipated movies by by respected directors. And it's just kind of crazy that Netflix just puts out so much, such a wide range of content and they've invested a ton of money in trying to win awards and they just like they just do everything that it, I feel like it's kind of gotten a little bit lost that um, the movies I'm talking about in particular that I was able to watch from like middle November through the first half of December, um, basically like almost consecutive weeks were um, the killer, the David Fincher um, serial killer or um, assassin movie with Michael Fassbender, which is just a really satisfying, you know, action um, kind of like, uh, followed the journey of, of a psychopath movie, but in a fun way. Um, May, December, really dark Todd Haynes comedy um, with incredible, you know, performances. Um, what's what's the guy's name from Riverdale? Charles Melton. Charles Melton, yeah. So Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, of course. And then I'm asking you, even though I'm the one that <laughs> watched Riverdale, I can't say Reggie, I think was his name, really mm-hmm. like, jumped off the screen more than anyone else in that in that show but um i mean he did in some ways physically but like seeing that he could be kind of like the emotional core of this movie where both natalie portman's character and julianne moore's character are just putting on artificial performances um intentionally he's like really vulnerable and and really kind of has to um showcase much more complicated emotions uh, and much more like earnest ones um so that was incredible and then a book adaptation um that's like a low-key disaster movie which is not low-key my favorite genre probably (laughs) um that being leave the world behind which um was a sam eshmael movie with uh julianne or julia roberts and mahershala ali and um I don't know. It's just like, I don't think you watched any of those movies, right? 
I did not. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's I know why, they all that's existed. Why I'm rambling. Yeah. But I don't know. What did like May December's not flying under any radars? Like they're getting awards. Like they're uh, that's award season. I mean, like Netflix's stuff. reputation is what I am am arguing for. Like as a creative, like powerhouse, like you know HBO gets credit for. It being the most critically acclaimed, like producer of consistent producer of shows, mm-hmm. like nobody says that about Netflix. They think of like the floor is lava. I mean, even though people spend more time on Netflix, it's not like they're not some like underdog. I just mean, I don't know. I feel like they they put out three of the best movies I saw all year <laughs> in like a one month span. Yeah, um, yeah, they are pulling talent like name talent in ways that i guess is you're right maybe flying under the radar like the killer i forget that that exists and the other one leave the world behind yeah yeah i know people watched and enjoyed but i don't know yeah i mean it doesn't matter like we don't need to you know round up more appreciation for netflix this this year was more than any other year it's been heavily reported on how much they've like dominated um viewership and of all the streaming services they're the only ones that are really they're the only one that's really like profitable as a standalone business all the other ones are parts of other business and the streaming is just a drain um so netflix is doing fine um they have the most subscribers the most global dominance the most everything but they also in my opinion had the most like consistent <laughs> good movies which i don't feel like uh, that's also a new yeah. take from you i feel like you have been totally on the edge of dropping netflix for the last couple of years i 100 percent, yeah like because there haven't been breakout shows for me um, um i was about to mention obx season three <laughs> because that's the first thing i kind of like binge watched at the new house um, once the projector was set up, mm-hmm. it was snowing outside and watching <laughs> Outer Banks, mm-hmm. um, treasure hunting, programming. That was a fun um, dichotomy, but the show's not good. Um, and for a while, like I just wasn't watching anything on Netflix until this like run of movies. Mm-hmm. That's when it totally changed my impression of them. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um We'll see what happens in in the next year and kind of where, like Hulu is consistently um, putting out good shows mm-hmm. through their partnership with or their you know whatever with FX. So I really like a lot of the the shows that they put out from FX and um, Max has the HBO you know um, creativity still in house. So, I don't know. Netflix um, will have Stranger Things 5 at some point. Mm. But I guess we'll save that for the, the preview episode. What's your, what's your next choice? Um, I'm going to, I guess, circle back. I probably should have talked about this earlier. Just the um, watching older movies in theaters that I've never had like like theatrical experience for yet with yep whatever all of the above all of them (laughs) um there were uh I think are these no they're not 
from Hollywood. Um, there were a couple of huge movies that uh, were shown for one night at a couple of theaters in town that I really just loved seeing with like a full house. Um, those movies are one practical magic. Yep. Which, uh, Hollywood did like a queer drag show beforehand and it was incredible. It was, I think a Halloween movie show night. Doesn't matter. It was in August. Oh, right. Just maybe it was in August. Okay. Yeah. That sounds I think it was in the end of August and wasn't Taylor coming in in for the Nick Cage party? I thought she was coming. You might be right. In uh, Maybe you're right. No, you're probably right. None of that matters. Uh, Practical Magic is one of my favorite movies and being able to see it with like a sold out theater was incredible. And then we also saw Roadhouse in a full theater with Meg um, and it was incredible. We wore matching um roadhouse outfits yes we did uh sam elliott that's it like that's all well uh, well that's not it i mean that is it for the movie but we also saw like a live performance oh yeah before the movie yeah which is really cool band played and the spurs yeah yeah uh and that was really fun so like these kind of these movies that are like showcase nights essentially like they'll put on a movie but also add a little extra to it i think that's a really cool format that's kind of emerging or like becoming more popular uh and i kind of like that that's fun and then was there another one oh just some older ones like um jason x and oh yeah the rock yep which we saw at cinemagic which are just silly fun movies that i wasn't expecting a lot of people to come to but then the theater ended up building up pretty quickly so that was kind of cool too i just love the i love getting that experience i love seeing movies that i love with a large crowd of people who also love that movie it's interesting like you can go to new release movies and no one knows what to expect and you like build something new out of that right but then there's also something very comforting and something very like warming about seeing a movie that you love and sometimes you don't know whether other people like it or if it's like whatever and seeing like a huge response to it that makes you feel that just makes you feel nice you know like it makes you feel more connected to yeah some of the concerns like especially with like a ruckus you know like you're gonna watch a band and they're gonna hype up the audience and then you're gonna give a cool intro um at the hollywood and then people are gonna like talk uh, some amount and react like ex- react a lot to a movie it certainly takes some of the pressure off like if it's a movie you've seen a bunch of times you hadn't seen roadhouse that many times but like right. you weren't annoyed by any of the crowd involvement no. and it was it was it was like reasonable i don't know it's a really fine line and everyone has a different it's exactly threshold. what i was gonna say yeah and like people will bring their friends to these kinds of shows and sometimes it'll be their first viewing and i i struggle with knowing whether that's a good call or not yeah i mean the rock was one that was oh maybe over the line yeah there were there was some there were some obnoxious reactions to that i'm gonna give the show time and the date yeah i'm calling you out (laughs) guy who was over there in the no i don't know um so yeah there is kind of a fine line sometimes 
it is too much and sometimes it's not. I guess the rock felt like too much because it there wasn't anything special about it because it was just a showing of the movie. But with something like Roadhouse or Practical Magic, there was like this preamble, this preset kind of idea that there was going to be like interaction or like just reaction yeah, to stuff. It's really tough to to foster the right energy. I mean, the Alamo Drafthouse theater chain, which was, I guess, at the time when they were putting out the really creative um, don't use your cell phone pre-movie showings, they would like bring in stars from the movie you were about to watch or just like do um, interesting PSAs before the movie to get people to be quiet because there's a there's other things going on, like they're serving food. So they wanted to kind of just like not make people feel too casual about it still respect the movie going environment whereas hollywood there there will be some screenings that are actually like crowd engagement i haven't really been to like b movie bingo or anything that's like you're actively supposed to participate so it's just this weird this weird line between if i've seen a movie a bunch of times it's almost always additive for me um it can still be distracting, but it's just kind of like a funny side note in the viewing experience. Um, aside from when Oliver and I saw Nosferatu, the original with mm. the pipe organ playing, um, being used like one of their first movies after they restored it at the Hollywood. And someone just had like a very, you know, probably unhealthy, disturbing cough. Um, this is pre pandemic, pre like being especially aware of of you know other people's <laughs> wellness um in in a in a movie theater but it was just very distracting it's a silent movie obviously with um the pipe organ playing pretty continuously so the cough just really um <laughs> punctuated yeah it was it was absurd i mean it was like they were coughing so much clearly they couldn't control it for their own sake and everyone else's, they should have left the theater. But that's that's such like an outlier yeah. situation. Did we also watch the Spiria last year? That was, I think, the year before. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the year before. We missed out on. Uh, so that was with a live, um, the composer Goblin um, playing during the movie on the stage, and pretty sick. Yeah. So there's like uh, a live element to that as well. But the crowd is pretty quiet during yeah. something like that because it's almost more of an interruption if there's people actually <laughs> on stage. Yeah. Yeah. so anyway it's it's I, it's really cool that we have this range of experiences um we have probably i know we're only on my third uh, in a second here um we should probably have a shared number one but we'll decide if if we want to do that or not i have an idea of what yeah. that could be <laughs> um <laughs> So for my third, is it only my third? Yeah, I just okay. three. Um, this is my whole odyssey and, and journey to and from Bo is Afraid. Mm. <laughs> I won't get into all the the um, issues or you know whether or not Portland is over on this forum. I'll leave that for the experts that on the coin news. news. <laughs> the newsman, yes. <laughs> um, but... There are obviously um, sketchy parts of Portland, and if you are going um, down 82nd in my new neck of the woods, um, 82nd Avenue, um, in Powell, let's say, where the Century Eastport Theater is, you might see 
um, some drug use. You might hear a lot of sirens. You might, you know, uh, be a little on edge. And then <laughs> you might go to see Bo is Afraid and <laughs> have the movie open with like Joaquin Phoenix in um, Skid Row. But like this really heightened paranoid version of his surroundings um, where he's basically having, you know, a manic episode for the entire duration of the movie. So that may or may not be fun for people, Mm. but it was really interesting how my location mirrored and punctuated Mm. the experience of seeing that. Immersive. Yeah, it was immersive because like I saw it weeks after it came out. I was worried that I wasn't going to get a chance to see it in theaters. This is a, a very, um, well-maintained state-of-the-art multiplex, but it's a multiplex. So most movies you see there are not full. And this was the middle of the day showing. Um, I walked like two and a half miles to get there and, you know, down down the street that I'm describing, watch 30 minutes of, of ads, then watch a three and a half hour movie. So this was like an all-day experience. And... After being in his headspace for for you know nearly four hours, I like jumped right back out into eighty second and Powell and was just really <laughs> really disturbed for the next you know um, twenty four hours or so. Hmm. Um, so that's like an example of the, your ex your environment surrounding the theater, like what you do before going to a show, can really influence your headspace. In this case, like it was consistent with the movie. So in a way I see it as additive. It might've not been like pleasant, but the movie wasn't supposed to be like a pleasant experience. Right. So (laughs) I thought it was a fun accidental (laughs) way to, you know, take that movie in. All right. We're back with your fourth choice. My fourth choice. Um, my fourth choice is going to be when we went to go see um, a Tycho documentary at Hollywood. Uh, it's a movie called Finding Her Beat. And it was, uh, I guess that's, oh, this kind of counts as one of those show before show situations because before the movie played or was it after no it was after the movie did we went to the whiskey bar no no the show the drum like the actual performance it was it was before it was before okay yeah so uh i love taiko drums and there was a documentary that was uh released this year about a troop like basically bringing together the best female taiko players in the world and a documentary about that kind of process and the show that they ended up putting on and they played it at they showed it at hollywood and before the show they had like the local there's some there's a local taiko group and the creative director of that who's like world famous has won awards she performed as well and I love Tycho. I've grown up loving Tycho. And it was so incredible to see them play live. Like I've never You'll had that experience. you what Tycho oh, is. Tycho drums is uh, basically a traditional Japanese drum performance. The, it's just music with lots of different sized and pitched drums. It's 
very powerful. It's very cool. And it's intense to watch live. Like the stamina and the power that you have to have in order to actually play for any length of time is just like awe-inspiring, honestly. It was so incredible to see a live performance. And then the documentary was just very powerful and like uplifting and they recorded it like on the cusp of COVID and weren't sure whether they would even be able to get the performance together because people were getting sick, restrictions were being put into place. But I think they did one performance or one weekend. Yeah, they were able to to at least I think they were able to do the performances that they planned. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if they had more than one scheduled, but they were able to do their main yeah. performance and was it chicago or no minnesota uh, minneapolis maybe. minneapolis yeah, yeah that sounds more right um it was just really it was so cool and the theater wasn't busy but it was busier than honestly i would have expected and i just stumbled upon it on like the hollywood website like i get the emails and stuff um it was just it like really i don't know it was just so inspiring to see mm-hmm. like it was such an incredible experience and then i <laughs> made us listen to Tycho cd's for like the weeks surrounding that event. And then, then yeah, we went to get drinks and the drinks were really good. Yeah. <laughs> we went to a Japanese whiskey bar. Um, so it's called Finding Her Beat. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you mentioned that. I, did, I thought I did. Maybe not. <laughs> um, and maybe mo- maybe people know what Taiko is. I, I hadn't heard the term before. Um, and I brought it up to a few of our friends and they hadn't, they hadn't even heard, you know, the term Taiko. It's like, a version of a of a drum circle and there's a one or more giant drums so that's like the, there's like a centerpiece like where someone's just like using all of their strength and 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 kind of like performing on this massive like upright drum and then kind of going taking turns performing together there's there's just a it's it's really compelling to watch um the the gender component or you know kind of like anything that's that historically rooted probably marginalized um female performers or females you know uh, in in general so the need for this group to be assembled and showcase the incredible artists that were eventually able to um find their way in into these um groups was was really fascinating and then uh, you didn't even mention that we saw the portland taiko group perform live um like we went to a whole concert at the keller was it no it wasn't no. called the keller uh the patricia rose yeah in beavertown something in beaverton beaverton because <laughs> yeah. we're beaver boys now yeah <laughs> um yeah, we saw based on the movie, they mentioned that they had like a full performance, I think. And then we bought tickets to that. And it was incredible. Um, the creative director who performed, Patricia Reeser, not Rose, sorry. Yeah. Um, the new artistic director of Portland Tycho's name is Tiffany Tamaribucci. Uh, and she was incredible. Like yeah. she was, like, I, I feel like I can't even describe how just like, amazing it was to see her perform like she just sold it she really like lit a fire i feel like yeah yeah and it was just like i I don't i don't know amazing context um different than like jenny and jenny dalton the spurs playing before roadhouse they were were playing like similar music 
that to what might play at the bar, but this was um, like just actually seeing the the music and the the style of music that you're going to see in the movie beforehand was a perfect way to like be extra interested and invested in the in the documentary um and yeah she was a force yeah (laughs) um a force to reckon with like like you said like on one of the the most acclaimed or you know impressive taiko drummers in 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 the world um and she's currently based here in portland Mm -hmm. so that's super cool that Mm -hmm. we have that um opportunity to to see her um anything else on that Mm -mm. okay um for my fourth um selection before we go probably into a shared um final selection i wanted to mention (laughs) i remembered that there was enough probably one of my favorite shows of the year was the fall of the house of usher on netflix as well so from Mm -hmm. october on i guess i was fully back in to netflix but I don't know whether to go with that or my, you know, triumphant experience getting making it to see mm. Talk to Me in theaters. You really did go through some <laughs> adversity yeah. there, didn't you? Yeah. Do you want to describe like what I had to go through to see it? Uh, I would. Yes. <laughs> Drew, the trooper that he is. <laughs> I messed up my back doing a very intense athletic workout. Um, yoga some <laughs> light yoga yes i was doing a very light yoga stretch i somehow strained my back and i couldn't move for the day and it was terrible and i had a ticket you had tickets to go with some friends to talk to me talk to me talk yeah. to me horror right mo- okay. like yeah horror movie. and i had no interest in that so but i was interested in still like going to see a movie so i wanted to see barbie for a second time i bought myself a ticket to go alone it was gonna be a great night i was very excited but then i messed up my back and couldn't move and had to stay home and drew <laughs> half-heartedly asked whether i needed him to stay or not and i was like no please live your life leave me behind and I don't he- know if you were any in any position to judge how much of my heart was in it mm. you were <laughs> You were way too preoccupied on your own stuff. Right. Yeah. I was being selfish. You're right. I'm so sorry. Um, No, you went out because I was very much like, don't, don't stay here. You can't do anything here, obviously. And I also got a chill night of actually watching One Piece. Oh, there we go. (laughs) So it worked out for me. Um, No, but you ended up going to see the movie and had a great time. Yeah. I went with Jen and um, another friend of ours, Z, who I've never seen a movie with. um, And they're both just big horror fans and this was maybe opening week for talk to me probably like the biggest you know breakout horror success like on a theatrical scale of 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 the year i'd say um it was it was just a really cool it's the ideal thing you want out of um a horror movie experience like being around other people um not knowing what everyone is going to react to in um like was it a full theater it, yeah, it was full. It was um, it was one of the main theaters, and it was um, as full as as I could tell. And it just it makes you more aware of your nervousness and and anxiety, like when you're watching a horror movie with with other people. Like there's just a cumulative edge that mm-hmm. occurs, and if you're into that kind of experience, then it it heightens it. Um, 
you know, if people are in a stereotypical way, like yelling at the screen that the characters are dumb, that's, that's a different type of like horror reaction. But, um, just like the general discomfort of, uh, a group while going through a traumatic, um, movie together would, I don't think like having more people in the crowd for Bo is afraid. That's such like a psychologically disturbing movie, but a horror movie where you're seeing like there's some amount of like jump scares and some amount of um, just like visual terror that you can watch everyone else react or feel everyone else react. And it, that really heightens it. Um, meanwhile, you know, my heart and my mind was was preoccupied with how your well being. Yep, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we survived. So no. I just wanted to commend myself for mm, your bravery. Yeah, you know, I organized the trip to the movies. I would have really been letting down Jen and Z, and Z went so far as to model her Halloween costume after the movie, making the fake hand from Jen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was such a formative, <laughs> such a formative experience true. for us. true. And I now own Jen's plaster middle finger. Yeah. Carry um, it with me everywhere. Yeah. So, you, it's like you were there. Yeah. That's what she would have wanted. Yes. It's um, what you told yourself. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's our top four. And I'm going to, we can go in many different directions with this final one, but there's an obvious you know, most memorable movie experience of the year for like 90% of the movie going public. Mm-hmm. So we might as well address the phenomenon, yeah. the build up, the bet, whatever direction you want to go. Joy, in. The, yeah. the winning. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Why don't you start it off? Barbenheimer. Yep. How, what was your thoughts on Oppenheimer? Let's just start there. Oh, it was <laughs> long. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep, explosive. Oh yeah, explosive. No, I didn't actually see Oppenheimer, so I'm, I'm a bad. No, that's okay. I'm not. I'm just joking. I wasn't trying to shame you. Um, mm. Let's start with the Barbie half then. Uh, well, let's start with. Oh, rewind. Okay. We're gonna okay, rewind <laughs> to months before either movie had dropped. I think it was probably after the first real trailers for each. We were driving back from. Yeah, we were in a car. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew in my heart of hearts that Barbie was going to crush the box office. Yep. I just knew it. I felt it. A lot of people felt it. I don't think I was no, taking like no, a brave stance there. No, I want to give you more credit. This is really early. This is like February or March. Um, I follow, you know, like box office prognostication decently close, closer than you. So, which is not to say I get any credit for that. That just means I was kind of swayed by the the cold analytical projections that sh- that were favoring. There was a time when people thought Oppenheimer at large, like where it was going to make more than Barbie, and that's the time it's when just... you were you 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 were. I mean, I'm not. I'm sure there were people that shared your view, um, women. Um, instead of box office prognosticating men, but and maybe people that are on more online or more you know tapped into um, the buzz around Barbie, 
But this was before it was obvious that it was going to win. Mm. I will say that. I will let you give me the credit if you'd like to and not give you credit for being a dummy dumb. Okay. <laughs> because it just <laughs> felt generous. very obvious that Yeah. Because Barbie and Oppenheimer, everyone was like, oh, two blockbusters coming out on the same day. What will happen? Like, Oppenheimer's going to beat Barbie, according to Drew. And Drew very much had that, you had that take where Oppenheimer, because of these box office stats, statisticians, yep. <laughs> uh, said that Oppenheimer was going to win the weekend, but I just didn't feel it. I knew Barbie was going to win, so we made a bet. Whichever movie had the better opening weekend, whoever chose, whoever won that weekend, uh, got to choose an entire month's worth of movie picks. Yes. And basically, we typically throughout the year swap we, we take alternate turns, yeah. yeah, who gets to pick the movie that we're going to watch each mm-hmm. week. And then there's some wiggle room with extra movies, but at least once a week, one of us is picking a movie. Yeah. And what made it even better for me was that it was for the month of August that uh, <laughs> so we up. got to control the viewing and August ended up having like five. Yeah. Wednesdays we usually hang out during the week and it ended up having like five basically more at least like one more night than it, it probably should yeah, have had five weeks and just like that were relevant to our parameters yeah instead of four yeah which is amazing yep. anyway Barbie clobbered Oppenheimer just just really drove it into the ground although they i mean oppenheimer did way better yeah because of barbie well yeah i mean like it they created something new instead of actually like being like we're pitted against each other like the casts and the crews were like we support each other and we can't wait to see the other movie and also everyone go see both at the same time why not people dressed up they like for both movies even oppenheimer people dressed up as oppenheimer right i feel like yeah 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 i saw it um I saw the so I mean, congratulations! Thank you on on winning. Finally, before wow. we before we move on to wow. talking about the experience, um, it means a lot. There, it was clear. Like I, the reason I wanted to give you credit is because like three or four months out, that's when there was some ambiguity, if not like uh, dumb people thinking that Oppenheimer was clearly you know had uh, projected higher, but then like a month out. It was obvious to me and everyone that Barbie, like, so I just wanted to, the timeline was important because you mm-hmm. said it, bef- like, I, there was no question in my mind going into the weekend that Barbie was going to make more money right. at that point. But um, we saw Barbie Thursday night at the same theater that I saw Bo's Afraid, <laughs> <laughs> that Century Esport Multiplex, which I think was the right choice because that gave us the largest cross-section of people that we wouldn't necessarily like run into at an indie theater. It was younger people. It was like mm-hmm. just kind of like a really, I don't know, a diverse crowd in the sense of like diverse demos. It was also, we bought our tickets very last minute for whatever reason. We weren't like taking as much precautions as we should have because like everywhere else was sold out. Yeah. 
like every theater that was playing it was sold out. It was one of the last places that had the amount of tickets we needed to sit together uh, together. So it worked out that it was close by here too. So that was nice. But yeah, it was just very much, I feel like because it was such a phenomenon, it did push people into going places. Everyone wanted to be a part of the early wave, right? The first kind of push. And so it did push people to kind of go outside of where they would normally see things or um, want to and uh, gave us, like you said, just an experience where we were with a bunch of people who may not have also been there I feel like it or was, regularly went there. Who knows? Yeah, I feel like it was more representative. Like it was a national, you know, global to some degree phenomenon. And since we were at like a chain theater, a mul- like a multiplex it felt like it was representative of what was happening all across the country versus if we go to like a small indie theater, that would be like um, more tailored to a port, like an experience that you would get in Portland or another like hip movie town. And we just had like the normal, the full on national Barbie experience. People dressed up. The sound went out during the, the trailers, many, many commercials and trailers before the movie. Um, so our friend Victoria, did she fix it? What did she do? Yeah, she went into the booth and was like, beep, boop, beep, boop. No, she very much was like, I'm not going to let a bad sound system ruin all of our beautiful experience of this movie. And she found someone to talk to and was like, hey, just so you know, it's kind of cutting out. The volume is cutting I think out. There like, was clapping. Yeah, there was. <laughs> it was like people were already. Um, Everyone was just excited and yeah, happy excited and, and like. And bonded together. Yeah. Even before it started. And then during it was, you know, just such an entertaining, such a crowd, you know, pleasing movie. People were reacting the appropriate amount. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go to the bathroom during a big. Alan oh man, scene. what your would have been your favorite scene yeah. in the movie. <laughs> um, and then probably the most memorable part, aside from you know the movie itself, was like, well, there's two. Um, when we were waiting, maybe people were in the bathroom when we came out. And so just seeing all the, I didn't really notice people going into the theater. I don't know if we were early or, or, or late I think or we what. were early and we were sitting in the front section. Yeah. So we didn't see people coming in. But people come streaming out of the theater were all dressed up. It yeah. was so cool. And then the whole weekend, going, you know, anywhere I went in town, I mean, I'm always like um, paint, keeping an eye on like the theater if I'm anywhere near it, just like seeing um what's on the marquee or what's um if there if there are lines or whatever and there were just you could maybe i was projecting a little bit but you could see people dressed up for barbie like everywhere you went in the in the city that was within a couple miles of a theater yeah and it was just like a barbie oh, yeah, we takeover. went to was it that night or so? it was I can't probably that remember. weekend i mean because we saw it on a thursday oh no we went to uh, victoria and meg and i went to seattle and were i think it was oh this is t swift weekend yeah but yeah. it was during it was while barbie was still it was the same weekend wasn't it it was the same probably, weekend yeah. yeah um and we went to a bar uh like a restaurant and there was a giant like birthday party of barbie girls hanging out and barbie boys um ken's i guess uh <laughs> who were having a blast and about to go see the movie like it was big it was just like a something that hasn't happened in a long time since maybe like 
the Harry Potters came out for midnight releases. I feel like a Jurassic movie or I guess Gen Z made the minions yeah, happen. I mean, but these like microchasms of pop culture that exploded in a way that no one really expected. Like it's been a while since we've had one of those moments. Yeah. I don't think um, I was kind of joking when I was like writing a written summary of it, but like, honestly, I don't think in my lifetime, uh, I think there's maybe the star Wars prequels. Mm, yeah. Um, and like there were movies that were more expected to, for people to anticipate the large franchises, Lord of the Rings and, and midnight screenings and things like that. I mean, that's not new, but like something that was just came out of nowhere and was on this level. And because of the, you know, light to heavy cosplay involved element that it encouraged, like did you couldn't miss people that were dressed up for Barbie. Whereas, you know, not that many people were dressed up for the Harry, like that was like a very subset of, of the, the hardcore fans. Like you wouldn't see them all over town. Like you would with Barbie for, for weeks really. Yeah. I mean, it was just crazy. Part of it is also that anytime you saw someone in pink, though, you were like, Barbie. I, I, I mean, I exactly. I admit that I might have projected of, of like 10% of it, <laughs> but it was it was noticeable for, for a long time. And <laughs> just like, obviously, huge kind of like ramifications on the health of theaters and box office just to like show that that kind of organic phenomenon can happen. Um is is cool if you are invested um personally like we are in the theater going experience obviously from this conversation we're having um we don't need to talk too much about oppenheimer since only i saw it but um i didn't do it in the same day so we saw like a 7 p.m or 8 p.m barbie screening went to bed you went to t swift i think i even dropped you off somewhere um, and then I went to like a noon showing of um, Oppenheimer and 70 millimeter at Hollywood. Um, and it was obviously sold out. There were people dressed up. There were already Barbenheimer shirts printed out. Um, and it's a three hour movie, um, three hours and 18 seconds. And it was just like, clearly people were really locked in to the experience. They were... Um, like for me, it was coming, you know, I was able to have a, a night's sleep and re- recharge to see Oppenheimer the next day. But like if people were starting off their day because it was, you know, noon and then going to Barbie from from there, it was just a different level of investment and energy that people were putting in to like spending their times in, in, in theaters <laughs> for that weekend. Yeah, Hollywood wasn't even showing Barbie. So people were you know, going from that theater to another um, multiplex or small theater in town that was. And it just felt like like a movie weekend, like holiday. I mean, it was like a national holiday. Yeah, it was holiday. crazy. I guess I also was like similar to you seeing Barbie everywhere. I was seeing Barbenheimer everywhere, yeah. which when you, which is basically when you see a brightly colored thing next to a darkly colored thing. I would like whisper, <laughs> Barbenheimer. <Yeah. laughs> um, Victoria and I had her shoes at our T Swift concert were like bright and sparkly, and I was wearing these giant clunky black sandals, and I would just point down and be like, Barbenheimer. Mm, yep, that's the bard, um, 
the Barbie Meinhof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barbie Nermanek. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was, uh, I don't, I don't really know what else anyone, uh, what shared experience anyone could kind of point to on a, on a bigger scale that happened last year <laughs> that, uh, that was that meaningful for like, you know, if we're talking about memorable movie viewing experiences, it's not just the two hours that we spent watching Barbie. It was, um, the headbands. I mean, we did some pretty weak cosplay, um, ourselves. We just had Barbie sparkly headbands. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Meg for those, I Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Um, but just spending, um, well, and then of course, like we discussed the wake of it, the fallout, as it were, um, you programming August and yeah, uh, it was like the right in the middle midpoint of the, of the year and kind of the wave lasted all summer. Yeah. Especially for us. Beautiful time. Yeah, we said that one escaped to talk to me. Hmm. <laughs> um, any, any other reflections on the year or any other, um, I guess we can save, um, for the preview episode, um, anything you're going to do differently in 2024. So that'll close us out. This is Drew here with Jamie. Hi. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to um, follow along with the podcast, you can search new release on Spotify or Apple or any other podcast platform. That's it. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs>